0: Page 1085, John 18, and verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there, women himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, the rooster began to crow then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the place of the Roman government. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, uncleanness sorry, they did not enter the palace, because they wanted to be able to eat to the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If you were not a criminal, they replied, we were not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied, your people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the leaders. but now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. What is truth? reported Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas.
1: Now Barabbas taking part in an uprising. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We'll get there. Guys, <laughs> check. Uh, can you guys hear? Okay. Do you want me to just slide it up a little bit, or we're we're good? We're all good. Okay, fantastic. Maybe it's just over on my side that it wasn't as uh, as loud. Thank you, Joy, for that reading. Good to go. Here. All right, we're in our, um, in our series. We've been working through uh, John's Gospel, and we've been uh, on the road to Calvary, the place where Jesus will die. And uh, this week, Chapter 18, uh, takes us right up to the brink uh, of that time. So I'm just going to pray for us and ask that God would help this word to live for us today. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for this word that you've preserved. We thank you for Jesus, the King we see here, and pray you might open us up to him. Convict us by your Holy Spirit and change us, Father, so that we might live new life for him. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me ask you this question. It's a funny question. In fact, it's quite a consumerist question. What do you want from Jesus? What do you want from Jesus? It could be that what you would like is a nice, relaxing Easter long weekend. It could be uh, you want a break from something that's been troubling you for some time. Maybe you'd like a business to go better. Maybe you'd like your kids to be healthy. What is it that you want from Jesus? I think quite often we come with a whole bunch of needs to him and say, Hey Jesus, can you do this for me? Today as we have a look, we're going to meet a bunch of people in this account Uh, from John's Gospel. We're going to see what it is that they wanted from Jesus and consider how they might be like us and how we might be different. Well, in order to do that, I want us to think about the world that this occurred in. I don't know how much time you've spent living in the first century BC in Jerusalem. Not, not so much time. That's good to uh, good to know. Not, not as long as you used to, perhaps. Uh, has anyone here been to Jerusalem? Okay, great. Uh, Has anyone been somewhere in the third world? Some hands. Um, Jerusalem is a very special place, but it's also at a time a long time ago where the standard of living and a whole lot of things were quite different. I want to tell you four things that I think will make our understanding of the story this morning uh, quite different. Uh, Things that you may have known, things that you may not have known. So first thing to say is that Jerusalem, and Israel more generally, was a land under occupation. So there were soldiers throughout it. It was under an army. So from 6 BC, the Romans, who'd been kind of working with a kind of king that was a bit of a puppet, decided, look, that's it, game over. We're coming in. We're going to sort this place out, and it's going to be our territory. Okay? So from that position, they started putting people around the place. And from what my reading suggests, they had about 3,000 troops stationed in, uh, in Israel at that time, which sounds like quite a lot. My picture for that is maybe something like modern-day Iraq or um, modern-day Afghanistan. So a sovereign nation that has a foreign army in it. And the foreign army basically end up calling the shots, so to speak. Anyone who, has, anyone who has a position of authority only gets there under the overarching authority of the army that's in charge. And you can imagine, you can see there's some uh, little kids, maybe they're smiling at the soldiers, I don't know, that. that would be a nice picture if they're smiling, they might be hiding. The point being, the populace recognised that there was a foreign power in their country. How do you reckon you'd feel if that was you? It's one of these things, you know, being not oil, our shoreline was never invaded, our country was never in flames. Uh, there's that sense of which Australia, as a modern nation, has never had to suffer that, which is pretty striking. For the, uh, for the Jews, I think that's kind of the vibe. So the, the, the sign reads, US out of Iraq now. Um, I think they would have been nationalist... They would have been going, our country, our place, get out foreign invaders. That would have been the ideal for them. Okay, so first thing, they're under Roman occupation. Second thing, uh, something about the high priest's office that we should understand. The high priest was the person who was in charge of the temple. And at that time, the temple was absolutely magnificent. In fact, it was one of the wonders of the world. Um, Herod the Great had spent squillions of dollars building it up, covered it in gold and made it into a place which would have just been extraordinary. Um, I think at the, uh, the uh, platform that the temple sat on was about one and a half kilometres by a kilometre. It's then raised up above the city, and on top of that is the temple. It was really something. Now, the guy who ran the, ran the whole of the temple was a pretty high appointment. But in order to get that appointment, guess whose pocket you kind of have to be a little bit in, in the Romans, right? Now, the Romans had been working with a guy who turns up in our story here called Annas. And Annas had apparently lost his job because he'd tried to carry out capital punishment. Do you know what capital punishment is? It's when you execute people, right? So the Romans said, ah, that's crossed the line. You really can't do that, so we're going to put you aside and we're going to put somebody else in your place. They put a bunch of his sons in place after him. I think about five sons he had. And they kind of did the high priest role. But a little bit like this guy, I don't know if you know who that is. Does anyone recognise who that is? That's Eddie Obeid. Okay. He's a guy you might not recognise, but even if you've never heard of him, you were impacted by him because he was pulling the strings. Okay. Behind the Labour government, he was changing premiers and all that sort of stuff. Now, Annas, even though he wasn't the high priest okay, anymore, was that kind of guy in Jerusalem. He was the guy who, behind everything, was pulling the strings. Okay. Third thing to know. It was the time of Passover. Now I'm trying, to, I'm trying to go, how do I get to you guys what Passover would have been like in Jerusalem? Jerusalem was a big city. It probably went to four times the population at Passover. So here's the city, and then four times the population comes in. Why did they come in? Because everybody is asked to come into Jerusalem at the Passover to celebrate it together around the temple. Now, what's Passover? Passover is Australia Day for Israel. Okay, It's Australia Day for Israel. It's the day when we remember, hey, we became a nation on this day. On this day, God led us out of Egypt. right? So if you're all together, the whole population of Israel more or less, you're feeling nationalistic because it's Australia Day and you've got an occupying army, what sort of vibe do you reckon there'd be in the city? There's lots of energy, isn't there? Lots of energy. And if you're the Roman governor, what do you reckon you're looking to do? Try and keep a lid on this pressure cooker that's just kind of cooking away. Does that make sense? Now, into that setting, at that time, Jesus does his Palm Sunday thing. Jesus comes into the city full of expectation, antsy about occupation, full of nationalism, and he comes in on a donkey And everybody greets him as what? Does anyone know? King. They greet him as the king. Hosanna to the son of David. Now, if you're listening, right, you are hearing this guy is the king. If you're Pilate, what on earth are you thinking? Crikey, Megs. (laughs) This is going to get pretty ugly. We've got a guy who's riding into town who's being recognized by the crowds as king. Notice how he comes in, though. Remember, Jesus is always trying to turn the expectation of what the Messiah looks like upside down. How did Jesus come in? Pick up some early learning from the kid's dog. He came in on a donkey, right? He didn't come in on a war horse, and I reckon that would have had a whole bunch of them scratching their heads. Come on, come on, do it, do it. Be the king. Where's your sword? We're ready, let's... And if you don't think that existed in Israel, you've got to know, in AD 70 they did try and throw off the Romans and they got absolutely smashed. The Romans brought the troops in and they killed tens of thousands. So there was that energy around the town. Jesus is turning on its head, though. He's coming in on the donkey. I still think that's ludicrous, isn't it? It's a a great picture. Um, And then, in that charged environment, having been recognised as the king, but kind of an unusual king, Jesus goes into the temple and what? Starts turning things over. He says, "This is a this is a den of thieves." Now you can imagine that's a pretty incendiary thing to do, isn't it? That's a pretty dangerous thing to do. It goes into the temple, the heart of the Jewish religion, and starts going. Your leaders have messed this place up. It's a disaster. It is not what God intended. Well, now everybody's totally on tender hooks, aren't they? They're like. Wow, what's about to happen? And it's in that kind of environment that we arrive at the night we have tonight. Does that make sense? Cool, let's dive in. The way I want to do it, there's a huge reading here. The way I want to do it, I want to, I want to look at each of the key characters on the way through and see what kind of night they had, what sort of idea they had of what they wanted from Jesus, and what role they played. Okay, and then we'll try and tie it together at the end. So let's have a look at Judas. If you've got your Bibles, if you can open them up, we're on 1084, I think it is. Page 1084. And uh, I'm going to read this little opening section here. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden. Guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. First thing to note how did Judas know where they were going to be? Been there before? What do you reckon they'd done in the garden before? Just, yeah, exactly. Just speculate for a second. Pray. Who had they been praying with? Jesus. Judas takes them to the place of quiet, intimate reflection. He takes them to the place of religious devotion. It's pretty strikingly nasty, isn't it? I'm going back to the place where I was included on the inside with who? A really ugly bunch of people. Uh, It says a detachment of of soldiers. They were probably Roman soldiers and some, you know, officious kind of, People from the, uh, from the from the from the from uh, the Jewish government. So these people, I don't know. It's it's a the plots at foot. Here's here's the soldiers. That's awesome. And then here's all the hangers-on who want to have a cool night out and see the guy get nailed. Taggers on, right? And what do they bring? Yes, thank you, mate. What do, what do they bring? They bring uh, torches, lanterns, and weapons. Uh, Jesus says, "I am the light of the world." It's pretty striking, isn't it? They come to get him in the darkness and they have to bring their own light. They bring weapons. Who are they going to go and arrest? Jesus. Now you can think of Jesus as the king. That's pretty cool. What if you think of him as the one who says, Quiet, be still to the storm? What if you think of him as the one who says to the, uh, the dead body, Get up? What do you think of him if you've got the guy who heals the leper and his arm is restored? If you're going to get that guy, what do you need to bring? You better bring a little bit more, hadn't you? Seriously. So here they come. Here's Judas in all of his... You know, it's, it's amazing. Uh, none of the Gospels miss this, but, but have a look. Now, Judas, who betrayed him. It, it goes out of its way to, to push the button on Judas all the time as the betrayer, and you, you can see why. Well, let's look at Judas. What did Judas want from Jesus? Well, he saw Jesus as a paycheck. I want my money. Now, that's appalling. That's the most reductionist, terrible thing that you can do. Jesus is my paycheck. What sort of night was he having? Well, the night was going according to plan. I will show you where he is. I'll get my money. We'll all be good. What action did he take? He was the instigator. I will give him to you. I will take him, you to him. He's the instigator of the night. That's, uh, that's a pretty ugly way to start. Let's have a look at Peter. By the way, if you're looking for someone to kind of model yourself on, I don't know. I, I love Peter. I think he's fantastic. Um, he's awesomely impulsive. So if you're a quiet reflector, you might just be driven absolutely batty. By Peter, okay? because his thing is I'm in, what's going on, I'm there, I'm with it I'm, I... so let's have a look at how he responds uh, tonight so uh, we're looking at, uh, at verse 10, oh by the way have a look at what just happened in verse 9 uh, Jesus says I told you that I am here if you're looking for me then let these men go this happened so that the words he'd spoken would be fulfilled I've not lost one of those you gave me now just quietly, what do you think Jesus is trying to do at this point is he trying to amp everyone up or calm them down I reckon he's trying to calm them down. Let these guys go. Now, the very next verse, listen to what happens. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, threw it out and struck the high priest's servants, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name is Malchus. I love Peter. I reckon he's just totally, as, as always, misread Jesus. Jesus is just going you know, to just chill out, let these guys go. You want me? It's okay. Oh, I've got a sword. Now, the cool thing is, Peter has no idea. What does he do? What does he succeed to do in all of his fervor? Can't even, can't even stab the guy. He cuts his ear off. I mean, that is a, it's a miss by any means, isn't it? It's just a complete hack job. Well, that's, that's terrible. Uh, he's hopeless, basically. One of the other Gospels says that Jesus goes and puts the guy's ear back on, which I think is awesome, and I'm sorry John misses it here, but isn't that incredible? So Peter goes, Jesus, I'm with you. Hack. That's just, it's a disaster. So at that point, Peter looks like a bit of a hero, doesn't he? At least he's having a bash. Everyone else is running away. But then we see Peter in another setting. Peter follows along afterwards, after Jesus has been arrested, and kind of just, I imagine, I kind of picture him running from tree to tree, kind of behind, kind of just looking, and then and then he gets to the place where Jesus has gone in, right? And he stands at the door, and he gets let in, by one of the other disciples, who's a friend with the high priest, who lets him into the courtyard. Now, in the hierarchy of people in the high priest's house, there would have been the high priest, there would have been probably his family, and then the bottom of every part of society would have been servants. And the bottom of the servant pile, because that had a pile as well, would have been girls, servant girls. So what we're talking about is the lowest of the low. Have a listen to how our hero interacts Uh, We're in verse 17, and he says this. Oh, well, actually, we'll read from verse 16. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, of course I am. I cut the guys off, ear off in the... No, no, he says, I am not. Now, of all the people that you could be bold in front of, right, The servant girl is the least intimidating person literally in the world. Servant girl. Are you one of them? Yeah, I am, but don't tell anyone. Just says I'm not. And then later on, uh, in verses 26 and 27, we'll see Peter again. One of the high priest's servants, notice how esteemed this person is again, another servant. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. It's a bit disastrous, isn't it? I mean, they're foreigners. Well, they're not foreigners. They have an accent. They have a regional accent anyway, so it's going to be given away. And someone says, I saw you in the garden. In fact, you drew attention to yourself, you complete duffer. You cut my relative's ear off. You're one of them, aren't you? And Peter, I imagine, just completely overwhelmed and fearful, just goes, I'm not. And denies his saviour, the one he pledged at the meal before, I will never leave you. The one who he stood up for in the garden with the detachment of soldiers around. And incidentally, it must have been such an ineffectual thing that the soldiers didn't even bother killing him. Did you notice this? There are soldiers with clubs and spears there, right? Peter cuts off the guy's ear and he walks away, Okay. I just reckon that's really striking. and goes, yeah, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> we can just let him be. He's not going to harm anyone. Okay, so here's the story. What kind of, what kind of thing is Peter looking for? Well, I honestly think Peter is looking for a king. He's looking for the king who'll come in and take over Jerusalem, and he gets to go, I'm with that guy. I'm with Jesus. He's looking for a king. What does he want from Jesus? A leader and a king what sort of night is Peter having? He's having a disaster. This can't be right. Do you remember how Jesus resp- uh, Peter responded when Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem to die on the cross? Don't do it, Jesus. This is nuts. So here he is in Jerusalem. He's been arrested by the foreign power. He's going, well, this is game over. It's all over. He's having a disastrous night. What sort of action did he take? Well, I think he took action of heroics, and a failure on the night. Here's Annas. Now remember I told you he was the puppet master? He's the guy standing behind the, uh, behind the whole thing. And so what do the detachment of sh- soldiers do? Where do they take Jesus? They take him first of all to Annas' house. So if we have a look at verses 12 to 14. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him. That's funny, isn't it? What rope is going to hold the Son of God? But for their purposes, they bind him. For Jesus' purposes, he lets them. Extraordinary grace on his behalf. And they brought him to Annas, who is father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. So why do they take... So Annas isn't the high priest, but they take him there first. Why? Why? He's the boss man. He's the boss man. So they check Jesus in to the boss man first, and he does the initial interrogation. In fact, meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples. Interestingly, sorry, just have a look at verses 18. It's verse 18 and 19 here. Uh, Verse 19. Meanwhile, the, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Do you remember I told you Annas wasn't the high priest? Kind of a bit of a perpetual office thing. He's the guy everyone knows is the high priest. And then there's also the guy who's high priest that year. Does that kind of make sense? So he questions him. And he questions him about his disciples and about his teaching. Uh, we're going to come back to Jesus' response to that. But he says, I want to know about those people who are following you. And I want to know what you've taught. And then uh, in verse 24... Annas sent him still bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. (laughs) So it's high priestly ping pong at this point. Uh, He's checked out Jesus and he passes him on to Caiaphas. Uh, And then, uh, then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Caiaphas has Jesus, and he goes, all right, we've got enough evidence. I'm taking him to the Roman governor, who is Pilate. Now, I want you to know, what are they trying to do? What's their goal? The goal is to kill Jesus, right? What are they most concerned about on the day before Passover? It's in bold up there. Ceremonial uncleanness. It's no problem that we're killing God's Messiah. That's no biggie, right? But if you can make sure we don't get tainted by walking into your dirty building, do you see how hypocritical that is? They're concerned about the outward appearance and they've completely sold out on the heart. We couldn't possibly be defiled by going into your building, so if you could come out and talk to us, that would be brilliant. Appalling, really. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own way, by your own law. They said, But we have no right to execute anyone." Now remember, this is just one of those tiny little bits that's come together from my reading. Remember why Annas lost his high priesthood. Capital punishment. And here's Pilate saying, look, you guys, are, you guys have woken me up in the morning. I don't want to know about your petty religious rubbish. Okay, go and try on your own. And they say, ah, but we don't have any... You remember, don't you? We don't have any right to execute anyone. Very, very interesting. So Caiaphas is trying to stay pure while he's killing God's Messiah. It's a uh, it's a pretty appalling setup. So here's Annas and Caiaphas. What do they think Jesus is? What's Jesus to them? Jesus to them is a danger. Why is he a danger? He's a danger because if the people follow after this revolutionary, the whole power structure in, in Jerusalem is going to go to hell in a handbasket. And they're not going to end up being top dogs anymore. Jesus is a threat to their position and to their power. He's dangerous. Well, there's only one response for that. We're going to get rid of him. So what was this night? This night was D-Day for a plan that they had been putting together for a while. In fact, the most, I think the most, one of the most ugly bits of John is after John raises Lazarus to, to life again, these guys get together. And do you know what they say? They're plotting around the table. Hey, everyone's going after Jesus because he rose Lazarus from the dead, right? Well, what should we do? I know, I've got the answer. We'll kill Jesus and Lazarus. Resurrection has broken out in Jerusalem. And the religious leader's answer to that is, we are so concerned for ourselves, we must kill the guy who was raised to life again and the guy who did it. So this night is the fulfilment of the plan that they've been plotting for quite some time. What action did they take? They were the architects. I reckon they'd already keyed Pilate up and that's why they got soldiers. See, think about that. What on earth are Roman soldiers doing walking around in the dead of night with some Jewish religious leaders? That's weird, isn't it? So I reckon they knocked on Pilate's door the day before and they said, hey, you know this problem you've got? You can imagine how they put it together. You know this problem you've got, this revolutionary guy running around? We reckon we know where he is. If you can give us some soldiers tonight, we'll lead him and we'll do it at night because if you arrest him on Australia Day with all the crowds everywhere, it's going to go ballistic. So I'll tell you how we'll do it. We'll do it quietly. We'll do it at night. If you can give us some soldiers, we'll go take care of it. See how that works? It's a cunning plan and it's coming together for these guys. About Pilate. Well, Pilate's a really interesting guy. Apparently, he ruled over um, Judea from 23 to 36 AD. Jesus died in about 33. So, talk about bad timing in terms of all of human history. <laughs> Here he is. He's the man on the job. Apparently, he didn't hate the Jews. How do we know this? Well, firstly, notice what Pilate did to help the people who were worried about being unclean. Do you know what he did? So Pilate came out to them, it says in verse 29. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? See how nice that is of him? He could say, I'm the Roman governor. You will get yourselves in here. But he doesn't. He says, I respect you enough and this Jewish nation. I'm going to come out and make sure that you guys aren't unclean. What's your problem? Then Pilate went back into the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, "Are you the King of the Jews?" See, so this is the issue. These religious guys have handed him a religious revolutionary kind of guy, and Jesus says, "Have you guys got a problem? What's your problem? What's the charge that you're bringing against him?" And they goes, "Well, we wouldn't have brought him to you unless he'd done something naughty." So Pilate then takes him inside and goes, "All right, tell me. Let's get let's cut to the chase. I've seen revolutionaries. I'm overseeing a place." That's, that's full of people who don't like us, our government being here. So I want to know, cut to the chase with you, Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? Because you did some king stuff out there the other day. I want to know from you, are you the king of the Jews? I think it's a pretty reasonable question. Jesus answers him, and we're going to have a look at his answers in a second. But ultimately, Pilate isn't a guy who's really looking for philosophical answers. He's a hard nuts and bolts, I'm looking after this place kind of guy. okay. So he could have, he could have gone, oh my goodness, I've got a wise philosopher and teacher in my, in my thing. Let's have some coffee and talk about it and you can tell me about how flowers grow and you know, what the meaning of love is. And, and he, gets, he gets through all Jesus saying all his stuff, which we're about to have a look at. And he just goes, look, what's truth anyway? What's truth anyway? And then he goes back outside, goes to the Jews gathered there and he says, look, here's the story. I've got nothing in the Roman rule book that says this guy's a criminal. I'm all done. There's no problem here. What's Jesus to Pilate? I think Jesus to Pilate is a question mark. What does he want? I want to know, are you going to upset my apple cart here in Jerusalem on this big Australia Day festival? And if you are, I'm going to squash you. And if you're not, I'm intrigued that you're here, but I don't really care. What's this night? I think it's a necessary night from Pilate's perspective. Yeah, bring him in. I'll check him out. If he's an issue, we'll get rid of him. If he's not, we'll just get him out of here. What sort of action does he take? I think in the end, Pilate's an unwilling participant in a scheme that's put together by the leaders who are jealous for Jesus. (laughs) This guy, Barabbas. Does anyone know what Barabbas' name means? Yeah, tell us. Son of the Father. Now, if you have a look up here, this is really cool. Bar is son of and you know what you've seen Abba before Abba father son of the father Barabbas' name is son of the father that's pretty cool here's what happens with Barabbas this is all the information we have on Barabbas and of course everybody wants to fill in the gaps but here's what it says but it's your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover this is a pilot just going I just want to get this guy off my hands hey we've got a deal don't we we have a thing we do a thing well, I can release to you a prisoner. So who are we going to release today? Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Now, that's a slap in the face to the guys who brought him along. Do you want me to release... I reckon he did air quotes, by the way. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? As in, this guy clearly isn't. What are you all upset about? It's not, that's no big deal. The Jewish leadership thinking is a big deal, but let's get rid of this king of the Jews. I can give him back to you. They shouted back to him, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Why does Pilate want to squash Jesus if he really is a revolutionary? He wants to stop him because he wants to avoid an uprising. Who's the guy who ends up getting released? The guy is called son of the father whose previous conviction was that he was involved in an uprising. It's completely crazy. The only reason this happens, I suspect, is either Barabbas had some followers who hung out at the palace in the morning because they knew Pilate was going to do the release thing. I don't know if you've thought about this before. You must have had some friends. And so they were all hanging outside the palace, right? Okay, it's, it's release day, it's release day. We know who we're chanting for? Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. All well, good, we are good. And then on top of that, the Jewish leadership knew that they wanted Jesus to go down. So there was just a bit of a mob following because it was early morning and it's a, tent, it's a city full of people. And so this crowd gathers, they hear something's on the go. And what are we, what are we chanting? What are we chanting? Barabbas, Barabbas. Oh, Barabbas, we want Barabbas. He's a revolutionary. Of course we want him out. What was this? Uh, what did Barabbas want from Jesus? I don't think he knew, but he wanted freedom, so that's good. He got freedom. The night for him was a bonus, absolute bonus. I didn't think I was getting out of jail, but that's cool. And what action was? He was just a passenger. Well, let's have a look at Jesus really quickly. I want you to notice a number of things about how Jesus goes on this night. There was a disaster for some, a victory for some, a troubling night for others. What sort of night was it for Jesus? Well, in verses uh, 4 to eight, uh, four to 6, we read this. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus, Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. A couple of things here. Firstly, who were they looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. That is the lowest title you can give Jesus. We want country hick Jesus. That's the guy we've come to arrest. Jesus stands up and he says, I am he. And the way he's saying it is, I am. Who do you want? I am. God, in Exodus chapter 3, reveals himself as, My name is I am. And so when he says, I am, in the garden, it's possible that these guys freak out and fall to the ground. Notice they fall to the ground when he says, I am. It's possible that they hear these words. He's saying, we're not worthy. It's a little prequel to the fact that every knee will bow. Now, for Peter, this night was a disaster. For Jesus, it was no surprise. See what it says at the top? Jesus knowing all that was about to happen. Jesus is calmly in control. Second thing we're going to notice about Jesus in verses 21, uh, 20 to 21. Jesus said, remember, uh, he was questioning about his teaching and his disciples. Jesus said this, I've spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews came together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. Jesus is saying, this is a sham. If you want to convict me, you bring witnesses. And you can bring witnesses from the whole of Jerusalem because I've taught openly. But better than that, I can supply witnesses for you if you want to convict me, and my witnesses know what I've said. That's pretty cool. You can trust them. More than that, here's the cool thing. You know the whole accusation, how do we know that the Bible isn't made up? Isn't it like a game of Chinese whispers, it just gets twisted and manipulated? Heard this? Here's the thing, Jesus says, you can ask my disciples, they know what I've said. See how trusting Jesus is? My message has been communicated to them. They've got it. No need to fear the accounts. So Jesus says, I haven't been hiding. It's not, this night is no surprise. And he says, I haven't been hiding. Then Jesus says, um, my kingdom is not of this world. This is when he's talking with, uh, with Pilate. Pilate says, are you a king? And Jesus says this. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest from the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Pilate goes, finally, we're talking about kingdom. You are a king then. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. I want you to notice Jesus said he was a king. And what did Pilate say? You can go. Pilate figured out whatever kind of king Jesus was, it wasn't going to be a political revolutionary one. It's safe to let him go. He's no danger. He said he was a king, but he was no danger to Pilate. Jesus says, I'm a king with no fear. Lastly, we see see, uh, Jesus saying, I'm here to testify to the truth. And Pilate's response is, yeah, whatever. I don't need to be worried about truth. What is truth? I find no basis for a charge against him. Jesus goes into court and he's got no guilty verdict against his name what should be the outcome He should go free for jesus what does jesus want from jesus he wants to be the king who sets people free he wants to be the messiah he wants to be the head of jerusalem but he'll do it his way not the way of the people what kind of night is it for him this is the fulfillment of what he'd been telling people would happen again and again and again this night is a fulfillment for him I think we see Jesus in this night, not as a terrible victim, overwhelmed by circumstances, but as the quiet driver and director of what happened. We asked at the start, what do you want from Jesus? If you want money from Jesus, I'm going to tell you you're going to find restless guilt. He's not in the making you rich business. If you want a leader, a great, awesome leader from Jesus, he's going to leave you confused. Because he'll do stuff that's about humble servanthood. He'll do stuff that's about sacrifice. If you're looking for the guy with the strong rod and the sword, he's going to leave you confused. Just as Peter was. If you think Jesus is dangerous and you want to just rub him out of your life, I just want to get rid of him. Less Jesus in my life is better. Here's the thing. You cannot stop him. You can't stop him. Whatever you bring against him, he will trump. If you're idly interested in Jesus, I'd like a little bit of info on Jesus, not 100% sure. I reckon you'll find Jesus quite confounding. On one hand, he'll say great and awesome things. On the other hand, he won't try and convince you. He won't try and twist your arm. He'll speak truth and if you recognise it, it'll set you free. If you choose to just go, whatever, you won't find the answers that you need. If you want freedom, Jesus is in the freedom business, so that's good. But it'll be freedom plus freedom for your soul. I want you to see tonight, Jesus remains king on the most disastrous, unending, horrible night of his entire life. He is king. And when Matt speaks to us on Friday, he will show us how Jesus is king even in his death. This night was not a disaster. This night shows us that despite whatever we want from Jesus, Jesus will be king over all our hopes and desires, a king in his own shape, in charge of his own destiny. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are Lord over all. You have set Jesus unable to be opposed by anything on this earth. Even in this tragic night, Father, we see Jesus completely in charge, without fear, without guilt. Heavenly Father, we thank you for his faithful disciples who passed on his teaching to us. I pray, Heavenly Father, wherever we are today, whatever we want from Jesus... We would meet Jesus as he actually is. The king who comes to set us free, who comes to give us new life, but new life shaped by the suffering servant. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Under your uh, share, hopefully you'll find a care connect card. Can I just encourage you to pick that up? Um, it's a good way to communicate with us any questions you have from Stuart or any comments you'd like to.